Well, hello, friends. Welcome along to another bonus level of Nerds Plus, a pop culture podcast coming to you from inside the News Hub newsroom. Got a special episode here for you today. Uh, thanks to the lovely folks at Undertow Media and Roadshow Films, I was lucky enough to go over to LA last week and interview the cast of Doctor Sleep, which is the follow-up to the iconic Shining, one of the greatest horror films of all time. So I had a chat with Ewan McGregor, who plays Danny Torrance, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, who plays the villainous Rose the Hat, and Mike Flanagan, the director. And I had a whale of a time talking to all three of them, and I thought I'd just upload my full conversations with them here on the podcast for you guys to enjoy. And we start out with Ewan McGregor. Let's not waste any time. Get straight into it. So Ewan, obviously this is a sequel to such an iconic film and such an iconic book. What was it like for you to step foot into the Overlook Hotel as Danny, and what was your first experience of The Shining, either as a film or book? Yeah. Well, it, was, it's, it could be quite daunting, other than Stephen King had decided to take the story further, you know. I didn't know at first. I think the first time I heard about it, I heard, oh, they're making a sequel to The Shining, and I was a bit sceptical. I thought, well, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, not yeah, such yeah, a good course. idea. Yeah. But then when I realised that Stephen King had written a novel in 2014, where he took the character of Danny and some of the other characters from The Shining, and he took that story in a different forward direction... And I thought, okay, okay, now it's now it's a more interesting proposition. And when I read it, I, I really loved it, and um, it felt like a very different movie from The Shining. I mean, I, 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 at first, that was my worry: was if people are if people are expecting to see The Shining again, they're not. It's a different beast. It's a very different novel. There's many more. You know, the the, the original novel was very claustrophobic. Three mm. people in a in a hotel, you know, and a couple of other characters to begin with, but really like a pressure cooker. And this isn't that. This has got a very different dynamic. There's four different storylines. There's um, the true knot, this mm-hmm. other invention of Stephen King's almost like a vampire coven, psychic coven, vampires. yeah. It's quite different from what we might imagine. And that was my, that was my worry originally, was are people going to be expecting one thing and, and be given another. It's interesting because Stephen King himself hated Kubrick's Shining and he called it a Cadillac with no engine in it and a film designed to hurt people. But <laughs> I know, it's rough, isn't it? He's but, such a good writer, isn't he? But with this film, it, there seems to be such a warmth and an optimism to it despite the horror and despite the challenging moments. Yeah. It's I more a story it. about redemption, right? I think it's a story about recovery and sobriety. I think it's a sto- story about... I think that The Shining was very much a story about addiction and alcoholism. And um, it's, it's probably no coincidence that King wrote them so far apart, you know. And, and, and this book is very much about um, recovery and, like you say, redemption or hopefulness. And I, I, I think that's what's really interesting, especially if playing Danny, who's been in the first story, is the victim of an alcoholic parent, you know. And now... You know, in the in the story, he has his arm broken by his father before they get to the Overlook Hotel, and he's suffered from his father's alcoholism. Whereas in this story, when we meet him, or when I start playing in the beginning, he's at the depth of his alcoholism. He's rock bottom. So become he's, his father. He's follow. He's become his dad. Yeah, and it, because he can't live with what's inside him, and and it's all very metaphorical, I'm sure. But you know, in his case, they're real demons. They're not. Yeah. They're not his inner demons. Yeah, They're yeah, again yeah. showing themselves to him in, in his in his bedroom at night, and so he has to drink and drink and drink to to numb himself from that, and through the story learns to face up to them and ultimately to sort of challenge them face on. You know, 
You also play across from Cliff Curtis, Kiwi Boy, yes. Repping the Homeland. What was so that like? Brilliant. I really love Cliff. It was so nice um, to to get to know him a little bit, and we had a very. I just played those scenes so beautifully. Like we, it was so. Because he seamless. saves you in the story, doesn't yeah. he? Essentially. Yeah, he really does. Yeah, yeah. he find, he he sees in me. He's the one that he he's the one that takes me down the to the to the door of of um, sober life, you know, and 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 helps me across the threshold. He's brilliant, and he's a brilliant. He was brilliant to work with. We off had camera. a lot of fun off camera, a lot of chess. He oh, plays, he's a chess yeah, man. He's a big know chess this. man. Yeah. Did he beat you? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh no, but he played everyone. He beat everybody on the set. Oh really? He's un- yeah. God, he's a multi-talented man. He's isn't very. He? I think he made a movie about a chess player, and he learned a lot about the game. And he's also. Like he just plays the game all day long, but he's a sweetheart. I really, I really enjoyed working with him. Oh, fantastic! Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, man. thanks, mate. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Take care. Cool. So that was my chat with Ewan McGregor, and next up, we've got my interview with Mike Flanagan. So yeah, like I said up at the top, he's got a pedigree of horror under his belt. But I think my favorite thing about him is that he's just obviously such a fan of Stephen King and really wanted to make this work. And I really think that comes through. So let's get into it. Okay, well, Mike, tell me a little bit about uh, the genesis of this project. Like, tell sure. me about your first experience with The Shining book and then maybe the film as well and then that kind of contrast between them. Yeah, I, I, I kind of met them in, in the opposite order, actually. I saw the film first, uh, and when I was way too young to see The Shining, um, I was in fifth grade, I was at a friend's house, I wasn't allowed to watch this movie, and I knew that, um, but my friend said, I have, I have The Shining, it's so scary, we got to watch it tonight. Uh, at a sleepover, and I watched it, and it traumatized me. Um, and that was the first time I experienced The Shining. I experienced Kubrick's film as a viscerally terrifying experience as a kid who was not ready to see it. Um, and then uh, years went on, I saw the film again. Um, and as I got older, I started to experience it through different lenses. And I would say, oh, well, now I'm seeing this as a work of art. Now I'm seeing this as a piece of cinema that's kind of unique out there in the history of, of the genre um, that's worth study. Um, and, and worth celebration. Then I read the book, um, and I think I was probably in high school when I read the book. And I was in this phase of kind of ingesting as much Stephen King as I could, because I discovered Stephen King as a writer, and it was changing my life. And I read The Shining, thinking I knew The Shining, because I'd seen the movie so many times. And I was wrong. Yeah. And I read the book, and I said, this is completely different. Yeah. Um, Wow. It's always fascinated me that Stephen King hated Kubrick. He he called it a Cadillac with no engine. With no engine. A film and a film made to hurt people. Yes. And I've always thought that was a fascinating way to describe it. But you can kind of understand it because Kubrick's film is very cold. Mm -hmm. uh, And Stephen King's book, there's a warmth to it. And I thought that really came through in Dr. Sleep that while the darkness is there, there's a message of hope and redemption to it. Yeah, and that's something that's important to me as the King fanatic that I am, that, you know, he's a humanist at the end of the day, and that message of hope is in the book, in the book Dr. Sleep. Um, But what was interesting to me was, in going back, it's also in the novel The Shining, um, in that, you know, they both approached, The Shining is written by this man who's afraid of, uh, how his own alcoholism could destroy his family, right? And in the in the final moments of the book, when Jack Torrance has Danny Torrance dead to rights with the croquet mallet, and he's got him, um, in the moment where he could kill his son, he won't. Mm-hmm. Because even at the end of the day, his paternal love trumps the evils of the hotel and the madness. He sacrifices himself to save his family. It's pretty profound. And indicative of someone who genuinely wants to find sobriety, right? And then Kubrick 
grabs onto something that's even more terrifying to me, which is that in that moment when Jack has Danny cornered, there's not even a flicker of redemption there. He's going to swing the axe, you know. Um, the only thing that's going to stop him is the cold. And, uh, and that, to me, they're, they're both completely valid and horrifying yeah. in their own way. But yeah. Dr. Sleep, your project seems to be almost a, a fusion of Kubrick's vision, Stephen King's Shining, mm-hmm. and, of course, Dr. Sleep's the novel. So what yeah. was it like walking that tightrope between honoring all these different inspirations and source material? It was agonizing. Um, it was really, really difficult. Uh, you know, as, as such a fan of both... That tug of war has existed in me for so long as a fan that it existed in every decision that we made for, for the film. But I, I was convinced it was possible. I, I thought there was a way to kind of reconcile these three sources together into something that celebrated all of them. Um, and in, in particular, you know, not only got to let us have this incredible experience of revisiting the cinematic universe of Kubrick and walking through those spaces again, but also could give Stephen King um, back some of those elements from the Shining novel that Kubrick had jettisoned. Um, it just felt like this chance to kind of heal it all somehow and to pull it all at least a little closer together. And I figured if there was even a 5% chance of success there that it was, it was worth trying because um, it could be such a cool um, and unforgettable visual experience. You know? and, and for me as, as, as a nerdy fan... It, it, it was the honor of my life to try. You know, whether we did it or not, uh, we'll find out in a little bit when the audience gets the movie. Well, but, as, yeah. as a Stephen King nerd myself, I can say that you definitely have. Thank you so much. Oh, God. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. And lastly, we've got an interview here with Rebecca Ferguson, who plays, as I said, the villainous Rose the Hat. I think she's the peak of this film. She, In some ways, I think she blew Ewan out of the water. Sorry, Ewan, I know we're best friends now. Uh, but yeah, let's not waste any more time. Let's just get straight into it. So, Rebecca, I mean, obviously you're no stranger to iconic franchises, but to sign on to the sequel to The Shining, you know, was such a masterpiece of horror. Like, how did that feel? Um, I'm going to backtrack it for you. For me, it's not a sequel, and it is definitely not a franchise. I was given a script from Stephen King, or not by Stephen, written by Stephen King. And I loved The Shining and I loved the environment that it created, but I loved the idea that I actually was a standalone character that had no responsibility in tying the two films together. Um, There are similar, obviously, characters traveling through, but I love the idea that this is an entity by itself, and you don't have to see The Shining to see this. I would recommend to see it. But there's definitely elements of this of film course. that, of course, there's like the, the Overlook Hotel itself and also so much of the iconic imagery yeah, comes from The Shining. That's very true. Um, but as I said, what I loved is I can create a new character for something that is not recognized from the previous scenes. I get to walk through environments that people will know, but I get to have my own approach to it. And the character you play, uh, Stephen King has always created such iconic villains, but this one in particular I found fascinating because while she is a psychic monstrosity who murders children, there's, a, there's an element of humanity to her that I thought you managed to bring to the role. Hmm. That was one of the most important things for me and also what leaped out from the pages when I read the script is I actually really liked her. I found her not... I wasn't interested in the beauty and the charm and all of that. What I liked is how she used it to to lure the victims to her. And what she's doing, you know, she's 700 years old. She's seen 
murder. She's seen wars. The Great Depression was the best time of her life. You know, that's where she gets the hat from. That's what I think. Yeah, and um, there's a sadness to her as well. Like when Grandpa Flick dies, she, she truly does mourn him. And yeah. you do actually have a sense of empathy. And that's why. It, it's not just the simplicity of being a villain. Obviously, she's a villain because her outcome and what she does, the consequences aren't great. For, By any stretch, yeah. You know, but if we don't feed, we die. You know? What do you so, think defines her as a character? Hunger? Vanity? Survival? Protection? Love? Nurture? Mothering? She's a lover. She, she is loved. She has a beautiful relationship. She has responsibilities. Because she, she truly has a family. She truly has her family of all these... You know, semi-mortal, you know, we also have an expiry date. She says, eat well, live long, stay young. But if we don't eat well, we die. Mm. Well, there, there are some of the moments in the film that were particularly confronting, uh, particularly around children. And I'm just wondering, for you, were there any moments that were difficult to inhabit the character? Yes, there, <laughs> there is a particular scene um, where I didn't think I would react as strongly as I did. Um, but the actor who I worked against, who was the victim at the moment, played it so well and so believable that when on action he starts screaming this guttural, animalistic, uh, I can't describe it, um, I burst out crying. And the worst thing is I knew my I knew my cue and it was a dug down, camera was dug down and it was too short, I was gonna dip into it and I would ruin his scene. So I had tears streaming down my face, which wouldn't work well. Of course, of course. <laughs> or maybe it would have worked even better, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Of course. And so you're across from Ewan McGregor in this film and you're an interesting contrast to him because he is desperately trying to suppress his powers while you are desperately trying to sustain yours. Yeah. And then we have Kylie in the middle, who's trying to figure things out and has more power than any of us. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that's very true. And if you have a film, as you said, the, the Shining, which is addiction. We have a film about death and recovery. But this know, film's also about hope and redemption in some ways, isn't it? Hope, redemption. I mean, it has so many elements to it. I think what I love is Rose comes with the more simplistic tone of everything. She's very much a live, love, hunt, survive kind of character. The depths come with Kylie and with Dan. Mm -hmm. You can't have too much depth with all characters because as an audience you'll get utterly lost. And I love that my character is kind of the generator for everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and every emotion she has is raw, mm -hmm. whether it's greed or lust or wanting or kill. It's very real. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Virga. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this bonus level of Nerds Plus. If you're keen for more stuff about Dr. Sleep, listen to the episode that came out yesterday. We have a big chat up the top of the podcast with my thoughts. I was also on the AM show uh, on Friday giving a little wrap of it. And if you just go through the, the six news archives as well, you'll see online on newshub.co.nz, I did a little wrap of the whole film and my interview with Ewan as well. So plenty of Dr. Sleep content out there from me if you haven't had enough here. Thank you very much, and we'll see you again next week.